Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open the word. We ask you to guide, lead us, and show us what you would want us to see from this time. And we just thank you for this beautiful weather we're having and this gorgeous time that we're having and that you've got everything under control. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to be starting at verse 20. Uh, up to this point, Jehoshaphat has been invaded by the Moabites. He went into fasting and prayer with the people, and the prophet told him to go out to battle and that the God would do the battle, that he wasn't going to have to fight the battle. So we're going to start in verse 20. And they arose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so that you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of the holiness and as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. Uh, Jehoshaphat is encouraging the people. And in, most, in almost everything Jehoshaphat does, he's a pretty good king. He's got a couple areas that have been a problem. He aligned himself with Ahab and we're going to find that he's going to align himself with a another king, evil king of Israel. But he's getting out to go to battle. And as they're going out, he says, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. And then believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. I want to just unpack that statement for just a moment. First is to believe in God. And for a lot of people, that's the easier part. To believe in God than to, but then he says, and his prophets. Now that's a little harder for most people to, even today, to, to believe when people say something from God and going, well, you know, we, and you know that they're telling the truth because it matches scripture and everything, but they don't always want to obey. And sometimes it's because the prophet or the, prophet or the pastor or the teacher is saying something that hits home <laughs> a little too close and you don't want to believe it. But here he's telling the people, the prophet has said, the battle is the Lord's and we won't have to fight. Now you've got to put yourself in their position. You've got an entire army coming up from the south against you and the king is saying, listen to the prophets and we're not going to have to fight. Now that would be very hard to believe. Uh, and he's called up the army, so it's like, okay, we're calling up the army, but we're not planning to fight. And then he goes, he consulted with the people and he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. Now I'm thinking about this, you know, how would you like to have been the singer in this situation? You're, you're the choir, you're the singers, and you're put in front of the army to go into battle. That's not usually where you put your singers in a battle. They usually would be the band and everything, the, 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 the musicians and everybody would be behind the army. But this is how much faith Jehoshaphat has in the prophecy that was made, that God was going to give them victory and they weren't going to fight. He sent the singers first. And I don't know how I would have felt being one of those singers. You know, do I, Did I have that much trust in God that God was actually, that this prophet actually knew what he was talking about, and I'm going to lead this army to the battlefront and see what God is going to do. And I kind of think about going all the way back to when the children of Israel came into the Promised Land. If you remember the story, Joshua told the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to step into the river that was rushing at flood stage. And he said, as soon as their souls touched the, the water, the water dried up. But again, how much faith would it take to say, uh, God's man is telling us to go into that flood. And if you've ever been near a flooded river or a fast running river, you don't get into it because it is treacherous. And here they were told to take the Ark of the Covenant and step into the water and that it would dry up. Here the singers have said, you know, all right, you're leading us <laughs> to go to this battlefront. You're not going to be behind. You're not going to be even in the middle. You are going to lead us into battle. And this is really just a step of faith in Jehoshaphat's mind. He believes the priest's word that God was going to fight for them. So much so that he's willing to send the singers in 
that they should praise, and I find this, the beauty of holiness. Now this term is used several times in the scripture. Do we as humans really think that holiness is beautiful? Most of the time the answer is no. Uh, the world definitely does not think there's any beauty in holiness. They think it's something to be laughed at, to be made fun of. And how many times do we as Christians kind of tend to have that same thought process when the world gets so into us that we forget the beauty of God's holiness, his righteousness, his honor, his sanctified lives. And it gets hard sometimes to be able to just say, God, I am going to trust in your holiness. And it's awe-inspiring to be recognizing the holiness of God. It doesn't happen often enough for me, but there's times when I just start realizing how holy God is. And usually at that point in time, I start realizing, as like Paul did, uh, I don't believe, I don't belong here at all. I am so bad that I don't deserve to be in the holiness of God. We think about when the holiness of God fell upon the tabernacle when they first built it. And the Shekinah glory of God came on the, on, the, on the tabernacle and said, no one could enter into the tabernacle when God's holiness came upon it. And that no one included Moses, who was used to being able to be around God. He went up to the Mount Sinai and spent 40 days with God, 80 total after he broke the first set of commandments, 80 days in the presence of God, and yet he could not enter into the temple where God's complete holiness was revealed. And here the singers were to praise the beauty of the holiness of God. Now, I would really love to have heard those songs, find out what they sang about, it, about the holiness and the beauty of his holiness. Might have been some of the Psalms and everything lifted up in a way that we can't think. And it says, they went out before the army and they were to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now that is a statement that is all through, especially the Psalms. His mercy endures forever. I am happy that his mercy endures forever. That means for all of eternity, his mercy is not going to end. You know, and it's by his mercy that I get to heaven in the first place, so I'm glad his mercy endures forever. And over and over, they say, his mercy endures forever. This enemy's coming up, but God's mercy. He, by mercy, gave them the promised land, and now they're lifting up the idea, his mercy endures forever. He gave this to us. He's going to keep this land for us. And I really think these two terms are so important. The beauty of holiness and the, his mercy endures forever. When I remember his mercy endures forever, then I can be very deep into the beauty of holiness and just say, God, I am so glad that you allow me to be in your presence. And sometimes we forget how important that is because we as Christians understand that our sins are forgiven and that we're not under the law and everything. And we tend to really get to the wrong idea about God in some ways. Yes, he is a father. Yes, he is the daddy. He's one that we can approach real easy, but he's also the God of the universe who has great holiness and righteousness. And we need to approach him in that attitude, in that framework. Because if we read throughout the scriptures, every time somebody gets into the presence of the angel of the Lord, which would be Jesus, or even an angel, which was reflected glory of God, what do people do? They usually collapse. Especially if they're in front of the angel of the Lord. They get into God's presence and, and his holiness overwhelms them. And I don't know if any of you have ever been overwhelmed by God's holiness at any time, but it is an awesome thing when you get in just a touch of his holiness. And you're going, whoa, God, is this, is this really what it's like? And you know, we need to get to this place where we start recognizing the holiness of his, the, the beauty of his holiness and how different it is from anything that we as human beings can even comprehend. We just can't comprehend the beauty of holiness. It overwhelms us. And I'm glad we're going to have spiritual bodies when we're in heaven. Otherwise, we'd be overwhelmed all the time. But we're going to have a body that will not be overwhelmed by that 
beauty of His holiness, but I still think it's going to be awe-inspiring even in heaven. When we see the beauty of God and His holiness, I think it's, we may not want, necessarily want to collapse, but I think we're going to be really drawn to it and saying, wow, what a beautiful thing to be around. And because we won't have that sin nature in us to, to re, be repelled by it, because that's the flip side of it. When we get draw close to God, the sin nature gets kicked in and we forget about his mercy and we oftentimes will push back against the holiness because all of a sudden we realize how sinful we are. And I think this is one of the things I've learned over the years as I've gone along. The, the more God is sanctifying me, the more I realize how sinful I am because I draw closer to his holiness and I realize how awful I am. And, you know, and this is what I've said, you know, when Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, there's so many commentaries that write that off with, well, Paul was talking about when he, when he executed Christians. I don't believe that. I believe he was at his, he had been sanctified so much that he was starting to really recognize the, the righteousness and holiness of God and seeing even with his sanctification that he was at saying, I'm terrible because that's how I find myself most of the time. God, I'm, you've, you've done so much, you've taken so much out of my life, and yet here you are, and I feel terrible and out of place. And start recognizing sin. And here he's saying that they're praising the beauty of holiness, and they're saying his mercy endures forever. I think we need to really recognize it's his mercy, it's his grace. And the more we recognize God's mercy and his grace, the better off we're going to be in our walk with him. Because we will be kept humble, number one, by it. And because what I have seen people doing, if they're not recognizing mercy and grace, and they think that everything that's happening to them and all the good stuff that's happening to is somehow related to their works and how good they are, they get so self-righteous and arrogant that it's hard to be around them. But when we recognize that it's all by mercy, all by grace, that's humbling. You know, when we recognize that we can do nothing without Christ, but in Christ we can do all things and keep it in the right order, we're better off. Because of where we get in trouble and I get in trouble is when somehow I think I've done something that God's going to like. You know, and it doesn't happen very often because I usually recognize mercy and grace, but every once in a while I get a little cocky in my mind and say, well, look, look what I've accomplished. And God usually slaps me down real quick and says, uh, no, you haven't done anything. And it's like, whoops, I got, I got a little out of place there again. But the more we recognize mercy and grace, the better off we're going to be. Because that will help us to recognize it's all God and nothing that I can do. And too many, well, especially religion, false religions are all about works and earning your place. But in how many churches have left the scriptures and start thinking that it's all about works all about what we can do you know and they'll they'll be honest they'll say you get saved by grace but then you know same message that people would do in paul when they when the judaizers would come along they never told people that paul's message was all wrong they said paul gave you a good message but he didn't tell you the whole story you've got to do this this and this to, to keep your salvation and unfortunately, there are lots and lots of denominations and churches that teach that kind of thing, and not even on purpose necessarily. They go, well, you get saved by, by faith, but then you've got to do this, this, and this, and this will make you good Christian. And if you do these things, you're super Christian. And we've got to be careful about those things. You know, yes, as God is sanctifying me, I will become more like him, and I will become a better Christian, if you want to use that term. But it's him doing the work. And we always have to recognize that because it's all his mercy endures forever. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments up against the children of Ammon, Moab, and, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seirah, utterly to destroy, slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the, of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another, one another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked un, unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to, to the earth, and none escaped. So here is God winning the battle. Now, and this is, 
They have three different nations coming together. And it says that uh, as they began to sing and praise, as they started looking to God, God moved in. Now, I think this is important for us to always remember. God waits for us to honor him before he moves. Huh? Put our toe in the water to put faith in what he says he's going to do and to step out. And this is something we have to remember. If God asks us to do some kind of ministry that's too big for the church and we go, well, God, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that, but we know that he wants us to do it, he's going to say, are you ready to put your toe into that water and watch him work? This is hard. This can be very hard. Because in the back of our mind as human beings is always the mind, what if I didn't hear God right? I'm getting ready to step out and it's going to cost us, you know, for us as a church, tens of thousands of dollars or something. And what if we're wrong? And God is saying, are you just willing to trust? Are you willing to step into that flood water? Are you ready singers to sing praises to me as you get ready to go into battle? It made no sense to put the singers in front, of the, in front of the battle line. And I'm sure those singers had a hard time being put in the front of the battle line. Because you know what? It doesn't tell us that they had swords and spears and, and, and equipment. It tells us they were singing. Doesn't tell us that they had any weapons. They sang. They weren't marching in for battle. They were marching in for praising God. Now, I'm not saying they did not have it. It doesn't tell us. But they weren't the ones to go in for battle. They were the ones that were singing and praising God. And if you can imagine, as you're approaching the enemy and you're singing, you're singing praises to God, and you know, it might drive the enemy crazy because they don't know what's going on. The enemy uh, so, but it says, and they came and they began to sing praise, sing song, uh, sing and to praise. And the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and the Mount Seir, and which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They started fighting each other. And it started out with Ammon and Moab attacking the inhabitants of Seir, which was, uh, ouch, uh, to fight against them, the Edomites, the children of Seir. And they killed all of them and then started fighting each other. I don't know why they did this, but this isn't the first time God has brought the enemy to fight against the enemy. Confused, lost, uh, distrustful of each other. Who knows what the reason was? <laughs> when Gideon went against the against the people, uh, they just made a bunch of noise around around them on all sides, and they fought each other and killed each other, and then ran off. The handful of them ran off, and, and Gideon chased them. And, but this isn't, those aren't even the only two examples of the enemy fighting amongst themselves when God steps in. And God stepped in and he had them fight and it says they helped, everyone helped to destroy another and they ended up killing each other. The entire army coming against them fought amongst themselves. And I don't know if they had any logical reason for it or it was just because God stepped in and said you were going to, now, he inflamed anger and, and bitterness between the nations. He, who knows what he did and how he did it, but it happened. And it says, when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. You come up over the mountain to the, you know, to, to the valley where there's supposed to be a bunch of enemies, and all you see are dead people. Three different nations' armies laying there dead. And what does that do to your faith when all of a sudden you see that God has won the victory? They're coming up, they're coming up over the mountain, probably a little nervous. What are we going to find, especially those singers? What are we going to find when we get over to the top of this mountain and they get to the top of the mountain and dead enemy everywhere? As far as they can see, dead bodies in that entire valley below them. How many times do we step out by faith for God and watch the enemy fall? I hope that you've had this experience in your life at some point where you've stepped out in faith and you were really worried about something 
and you step out in faith and all of a sudden you get to where the battle where you think the battle is going to be and you see an enemy that is fallen or totally retreated retreated not there and you realize you had nothing to fear because God was in control this army comes up over the mountain and says wow that prophet was right the king was right to trust the prophet there are dead fallen enemies we don't have to fight just as we were told and it is a wonderful thing when you realize that God has told you the truth and that your faith has been rewarded go back to the priest stepping into the river Jordan in flood stage and then all of a sudden the water stops and I can't imagine there had to be some miraculous stop because they're walking in, they're stepping into a flood and it says it stopped as soon as they touched and it built and it made a great wall down, down there. So yes, it stopped down there, but God dried the water up as well so that they would not get soaked while the water trickled through. It said they walked on dry land because of their faith to step out. And that had to have been a fearful moment to step into a raging flooded water especially when you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant with you. All right? It'd be bad enough to step into it knowing that I might be able to swim if I got swept away, but I'm carrying the Ark of God and I cannot let it go. <laughs> no matter how far I get, get pushed down the river, I've got to hold on to this Ark. That had a lot of faith in it. The singers lead over the mountain and they find the enemy defeated. It's a wonderful experience when you finally step out in faith and see the enemy defeated and it hasn't happened enough in my life I'd like to have it more but I don't know sometimes I I am too much of a planner to step out by faith sometimes it's hard for me to step out by faith in faith because of my managerial skills that's a it's a good thing and yet it's a bad thing because it keeps me from being willing to step out sometimes and God has had to fight with me at times to step out by faith to do what I know that he's telling me to do because everything doesn't make sense. And it's real hard to, to trust in the Lord and not our own understanding, you know, even though we know that he promises that he's gonna protect. But here we see this, they, they come up over the mountain and they see that nobody's escaped. Verse 25 says, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoils of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious stones which they stripped off for themselves more than, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves together in the valley of Berakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the place was called the valley of Berakah unto this day. All right. They come up over the valley they see the dead people and they spend three days stripping the wealth off these bodies. I don't know how many bodies there were. Uh, we know that Jehoshaphat has an army of around 200 to 300,000 people. I don't know if he took his whole army, but let's say he did. He brought all 300,000. Let's say he only took a, th a third of them, 100,000 people. To take three days to strip all the wealth off these bodies means that there was a very, very large army coming against them. I don't know how many bodies you could strip in a day, but let's say, you, you say for some reason you can only get three or four stripped, that's still 300 to 400,000 men or over a million men, depending on how many Je uh, Jehoshaphat had, had, and they had that much wealth. Now, uh, one of the things I have never understood is why did people wear all their wealth to go to war in the first place? <laughs> I think the biggest thing was, yes, it did weigh them down, but I think it was the idea of, look, you know, intimidation. Uh, you know, look how much wealth I have. I'm important, and, I've been, and I have been blessed. Yeah, you know, uh, well, a lot of times they got their wealth from Winning battle. Well, yeah, I've gotten all this by killing other people, and look how rich I am. I'm, I'm mighty and I'm powerful. It's like medals on, on our armies, chest. Yeah. And I kind of think of uh, if you watched A Team, Mr. T. Yeah. You know, he wore all of his jewelry, and it was intimidating. Supposed to have been intimidating to the people. Uh, 
and that's what I think that's what this was all about. It was intimidation. I think you're kind of right. It was the look at all the wealth that I had gone in battle and all the chains that I that I have gotten and all that. Uh, uh, I would think that they would move slower the more they had on it, but apparently it was an intimidation intimidation thing. But it says it took them three days. <laughs> I don't know how I want to be out there on the first day. Uh, but they're gathering up all the wealth of the three nations because God had killed their armies. And they didn't have to chase anybody. They didn't have to kill anybody. They just got wealthy by collecting. Well, I'm sure it did by the three, third, by, especially by the third day. It didn't smell good at all. Yeah. They usually fought in the spring, the spring and summer while the crops grew. And then on the fourth day, they assembled themselves and they came into the valley of Behekah, which means, means blessing. So they named the, the valley Blessing. And they blessed the Lord there. And they changed the name of the place to the valley of Behekah, which it was until this day of the writing of, of here. So they got in there an enemy, the challenge. And this is the good news. When God gives us a victory, we finally get to the blessing that comes along with the victory. But if we do not step out by faith to win the, for God to win the battle, we never get to the victory and the blessing. And you know, this, I've met people who go, well, God has never blessed me. I don't feel like God's blessing me at all. And my question for many of them is, what have you done by faith for God? Where have you stepped outside of yourself for God to even bless you? And I sometimes think the same way. Maybe I haven't been blessed enough because I don't step out often enough by faith. I've stepped out in faith and I've gotten blessed. I wonder how many blessings I have lost over the years because I didn't step out in faith quick enough. Because every time you see people step out by faith, there's a blessing attached to it. And you go, what about, what about the people who died? Well, they got blessed too. We just don't recognize it a blessing. They went to heaven. That's the ultimate blessing. To go to heaven is the ultimate blessing. Uh, and I think this is so important. You know, I was listening to a pastor one time. He goes, this person was asking him. They were, they were sick unto death. And he goes, I really need prayer for healing. He goes, oh, you, want, you really want to be healed? And he started praying, Lord, take this person home. They need to be healed. <laughs> they go, no, I don't want to be healed that way. And I'm going, uh, why would you not want to? <laughs> you know, that would be the ultimate blessing and yet we're so afraid sometimes to step out for God because it might make something dead. And yet God is saying, I want your flesh dead. I want you as an individual dead. I want you to be hide, hiding in me. And we need to understand that God has a blessing. He'll either take us home, he'll get us through it with a great victory and the blessing that comes on the other side of the, of the victory. Or we get the ultimate victory and get to go home. Either way, it's great. And you know, we step out by faith, and God honors faith. He really does honor that faith. Now, if we try to step out in the wrong, kind, wrong direction in faith, I think God will shut the door and, not let us, and still give us a blessing because we were willing to step out. And I've seen too many people, sometimes people do get presumptuous in their faith. They're not listening to God, and they just say, this is faith. Uh, I... I've seen people throw away medicines because they're so sure they're going to be healed or break their glasses and then they end up buying more medicine and buying glasses because they were taking their step of faith. You know, just put them away and don't use them. You know, wait, wait until God actually heals you, but take that faith. You know, put your glasses away if you really think he's healed you, but don't need necessarily break them. But, and then people, well, that's not showing faith. Well, I think it would be <laughs> because I've, I have seen too many people break their glasses and then have to go buy new ones the following week you know, or a couple of weeks later because they weren't, they weren't really listening to God. And it is real easy for us to do what we think is what we want. And I've said pe people many times, they go, well, how do you know that God is talking to you? Well, one of the things is if, it's, if he's telling me to do something that I don't want to do, that I know that is not sin, it's probably God. I have no problem understanding if God says go do something and I know it's not sin and it's not something I want to do, I am pretty sure it's God. 
Now, when I hear something in my ear saying, do something, and I wanted to do it all along, I have a lot harder time saying that that's God. Because that is what I wanted, and I have a hard time hearing God's voice when it's what I want. So this is just how I do it. You know, this is, you know, I'm not going to say that every time, I, every time I want something, it's wrong, and it's not God, but I'm not willing to say it is God. But when it's something that I don't want to do, and I know that it's not sin, I'm going, okay, God, I really think this is you talking to me. Uh, help me understand, because I really don't want to do this. But I'm pretty sure that it's him. And then, you know, we usually step out in faith on that kind of an action. And it's very important on, on learning to listen to God's voice as we go forth. And so on the fourth day, they, they were blessing God on us. And this is something that's very important, to remember to praise God when we get blessed, when we get that victory. It is so easy to forget that God gives it to us and forget to give him thanks and forget, to forget about God and I've heard people over and over, you know, God, do this, and we'll be sure to give you the thanks. And then I've looked at them, you know, a couple days later, well, did you give thanks for what God did for you? Whoops. <laughs> Forgot all about God when I got the victory, got out of that trial. And, mm, go ahead. Well, that would be the other side. A lot of people don't bless God when, when perceived bad things happen to them because they think that that's not God, and yet we're told, in everything, give thanks to, for this is the rule of grace Jesus concerning you. Almost everybody is because we don't understand what, what we perceive to be bad is doing for us. And if we truly believe Romans 8:28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and called to work to his purpose... We know that no matter what comes my way, there's something good that God is working on it. Well, the question then would be, are you turning over to God and being thankful for what he is trying to teach, and are you learning your lesson? When I was battling God for six years because I wouldn't listen to him, everything kept getting worse and worse and worse. And worse for six years. I mean, but that's right where God wants you, so you'll give up. That is where I was when I had to give up after six years of ruining my finances, making life difficult for my family. I finally said, God, I finally give up. And within very, very short period of time, God took over. And you can't play games. God knows what you're going to give up because you can't just say, well, I give up because everybody says I should. It, I really gave up. I was tired. I was tired of making plans. I was tired of trying to work my way out of the problems. And I just said, God, I give up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was at. And I just said, God, I'm, I'm tired. You know, and as I said, I'm a manager. I made good plans, and I know they were good plans, and God said they're not going to work. And you know, it got very frustrating because all my good plans would fall apart. So I would go to make plan B, and it would fall apart. And I made plan C, and it fell apart. I don't know how many plans I made over the six-year period, but I made a lot of plans. And finally just said, okay, God, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and he goes, oh. I, I, I swear that I heard him say about time. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, that's the only time I really feel like I ever heard God speak to me in, a, in some kind of voice, and it, and it was about time, and then everything changed. And it wasn't because I made plans, it was because God stepped in and said, okay, now I can, I can give you the blessing. And God will do that with us. How stubborn are we? You know, I'm a very stubborn person, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm going to get things my way. I, unfortunately, as well as I know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I don't always obey Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I like to trust in my own way and not God's way. 
I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it out. I got myself into this mess. I am going to get myself out of this mess. And I know I can do it. Now, uh, yeah, and I know that I can manage to get out. And God says, okay, well, you keep trying, and I will stand against you, and you won't get out of it. Because God's not going to let us get the glory. So we need to be able to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean on into our own understanding, and just say, I surrender. I cannot figure out how to get it out. That may mean that I trust other people to help out. Might mean that I have to be willing to accept help from other people in the right spirit. And it's very important for us to be just willing. Just willing. Because a lot of people just won't accept help. You know, there's people all around them willing to help them if they would just let them but they won't. And we need to be very careful about this because this is an issue that we just have to trust in God. Trust that God's actually sending those people to us. He's going to send them to us, that he has a plan. Maybe we're going down the whole wrong road and God wants us way over someplace else anyway. We don't know. Now, we don't know what God is trying to stop us from doing, what he's trying to keep us from doing, how he's trying to work, all we look at it is, this sure seems to be bad. And you, you know, note, I, I sometimes slip, but I almost always say things seem bad. Because I truly do believe in Romans 8.28, that nothing is happening to me that God isn't in control of. Now, I may not understand how anything good can happen from it. I may not understand what good can happen from it. But God has a plan. And he may or may not show me in this lifetime what the plan was. We all do that. And and what happens might be even worse. We we didn't get something worse, which is still a good thing. And we're just going to perceive it as bad because we didn't know what would have happened. You know, I got a flat tire, a terrible thing, and if I had gone down the street another, another uh, three miles, I would, have been in, I would have been the one hit by a car across, you know, crossing the medium or something. I don't even know that that would have happened. All right? All I know is I'm sitting here with a stupid flat tire having to change the flat tire and fix the car and fix the tire and not realize what would have happened. And so we need to be careful about how we react to what does happen. And just say, God, I'm putting my trust in you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm the first one to have trouble with that putting my trust in God sometimes. Because of the fact that I'm a type A driven personality that's going to make things happen. And so that makes things very difficult for me to trust God. Uh, God, you're telling me not to go out here and make all my plans and, and work my plans. And I have to be careful about that because I am gifted at making plans. So there are places for my plans. I just can't get so stuck in my plans that I won't go forward in, with the way God wants me to go. And this is the problem is when we reach this area where everything seems to be going against us. All right, God, don't know what's going on. Put yourself in Job's place. Everything seemed to be going wrong for Job for a period of time. Lost all of his wealth. Went from the richest man in the world down to no money at all. Lost his family. Had his wife telling him to, that he just cursed God. And, you know, and I kind of tend to believe that she really was saying you know, that out of a heart of love. You know, you're suffering so bad, why don't you just curse God and let this whole thing be done with? I don't think she was trying to be ir- irreligious or anything on it. She's like, you know, just curse God and get it over with. I'm tired of seeing you suffer and it's not fair, fair for you to suffer. Uh, and then he had his wonderful friends telling him about how awful a sinner he must be for all this to happen to him. You know, and so we need to be careful because you know, none of us have ever suffered like Job, at least nobody I know. And God has got a plan always. He had a plan for Job when Job was suffering so severely. And when he finally got done and he finally taught Job that he didn't have a prosperity gospel that to believe in, he gave, gave him more than he had to begin with. Doubled everything on the, on the return. So we need to be able to understand that God has a plan if we will just step back and let him work. And believe me, I'm, I fully understand how hard that is to do, to let God work. 
So here we have them stripping out, they're witnessing, and then verse 27, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem and with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all about. I love this. Jehoshaphat went out with the singers leading. Now, coming back, he was a little more bold. He leads the ones, and the singers are right behind him probably. But they're praising God, harps and psalteries and all these things coming into Jerusalem, praising God because God had given the victory. And I love this. He recognized who gave the victory and he's giving glory to God. Now, this would be very hard for them to come back and say, yeah, look at the victory we won. We came over the mountain, all these people were dead, and now, we're, now we, we won that victory. You know, but it's like God gets the glory. And they're praising God. And they come to Jerusalem with this. And then it says, And the fear of God was upon all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Peace. A very great peace. Because all of a sudden, these nations were ones that had not forgotten the stories of the ten plagues of Egypt. They have not forgotten that the water stopped flowing in Jordan in the in flood stage. They have not forgotten the story of Jericho's wall falling down and all these enemies and all these great victories. And now they have a new story of God defending his people. These crazy Israelites sent an, a, a band out first and they walked over a mountain and their God had killed everybody. What can you do against a God who can kill everybody in the, uh, of the enemy? And none of the nations would touch Israel during the days of Jehoshaphat because of the fear of God that fell upon them. Oh, that we would see the fear of God fall upon our nation again. <laughs> that we would see the enemies of God stop working so much against him because of what he's done. And it says, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. Verse 31 says, and Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah he was 35 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in the ways of Asa, his father, and departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto their God and unto the God of their fathers. So I just want to look at this. It now gives us just the way it ends a lot of times. He reigns for 25 years. He's going to reign until he's 60 years old. He's got peace his last few years because he walked after the ways of God. And then it just a very interesting, albeit the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts. All right? You had a king honoring God. Telling the people that they're to honor God. Calling them to worship. And it's the great example of the people will say, you can't legislate righteousness. You know, and this is a picture of that. Even though the king was saying, it's time to honor God, the people were not ready to actively bow to God. I'm sure when the king said, show up in Jerusalem and offer sacrifices, they showed up. When he said, you know, we're going to not worship these idols they just went underground in their worship. But they were, the people's hearts were not ready to worship. Yep. But how many times do people not turn to God, even ourselves, that not fully turn to God when we watch him give us a great victory and still not turn over our, our heart to, to, toward him completely? And this happens in churches all the time where God does a mighty work and a small minority of the people are the ones that are walking by faith and the rest of the church gets blessed and the rest of the church goes, oh, well, you know, you know, what, you know what, what, what a coincidence that all these things happen to us. You know, 
all these good things are happening to us. You know, it's not the fact that those crazy ones over there were the ones stepping out in faith and, and leading us into this thing. You know, it's just everything just happened to work out. This is the way the people are. They know the stories of God, and yet they won't trust God. And it's sad. Their hearts were not prepared to turn to God, it says. And that is going to be the downfall later on of the nation. The people's hearts did not turn. Even though they had leaders that turned to God, their hearts did not turn. This is why the two great, American, uh, great awakenings in America were so good, because they didn't start at the top and get passed down. They started down at the bottom, and God did a revival that swept through the hearts of the people. And then, because the people's hearts were changed, it moved up into government and businesses and everything else, saying, we're going to honor God. Because it came from the right direction. It came from the majority and moved up. You cannot legislate it from the top. We couldn't get a president. We, you know, let's say, for some crazy reason, we get a righteous Congress, Senate, and, and president in, in, in the next uh, four years. We still will not be ready if the hearts of the people will not be prepared to change. Jehoshaphat's a great king. He's following God. He's honoring God. And the people's hearts are not prepared to turn to God. And it's going to cause problems later on because their hearts would not turn. And then we look at this last thing on his. Now, for, verse 34. Now, for the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, behold, they are written, written in the book of Jehu, the son of Haniah, who, had, who is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezan Geber. Then Eleazar, the son of Dudava of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has broken your works. And the ships were broken, and they were not able to go to Tarshish. So here's the second time Jehoshaphat has aligned himself with an evil, wicked king. The first time, God does a miracle to get him out of a battle that he should not have been surviving in. Well, that was with Ahab when he went to battle. Remember, he disguised, Ahab disguised himself as so he didn't look like a king. And, and Jehoshaphat very foolishly went in looking like a king. And everybody was shooting arrows at him. And he was, God delivered him from that battle. Now he goes with the, the, the new king of Israel, Ahaziah. He says, I have a really good idea. Let's go into business together. We'll make ships. And we will sail our ships. And some places say that Tarshish does not mean, was not the Tarshish of, uh, that Jonah tried to get to. Some people say it was. This one's a little hard to believe because that, were going, that they were going to go to Tarshish because this city that they built them in is on the Strait of Aqaba, which is at the top of the Red Sea, <laughs> uh, up into the very, very bottom, bottom part of Israel. So to get to Tarshish from there, they'd have had to gone down the coast all the way around Africa to get over to where we've understand Tarshish to be. I don't think that's where they were going. I kind of agree with the ones that say that this was not the actual Tarshish we're thinking of. Most people do believe they were probably looking to sell to India to get riches from India. It doesn't matter, but he, he gets together with this king and says, uh, let's have a really good idea. We're going we're gonna to go make a lot of money. We're going to make a lot of money. We're going to make ships, and we're going to sell. And the prophet came to him and said, what is wrong with you? Didn't you learn your lesson the first time? And, he's, and he says, because you have realigned yourself with an unrighteous king again, your endeavor will not prosper. And it says the ships were destroyed. They never went out to sea. Or if they did go out to sea, they didn't get very far. They never went to where they were going and came back because of... God stepping against him. So now we have God having blessed Jehoshaphat so greatly in this one battle. Now because he's not following up through and doing things God's ways, God steps against him and he doesn't get success 
in something that by sight which should have been an easy, this should have been a real easy thing. We're just going to build some ships and sail them out and get, get, get rich. Should have been no problem, no problem whatsoever. And yet God said, I'm not going to let it work because you've aligned yourself with the world. You, you are partnering with the world. And God is not going to let us partner with the world and be successful because it's not going to be done his way. And I don't know what, here, what was going to not work in this case, but God says, I, this is the same port city that Solomon went to build ships in when he tried to make his navy to, for Israel to go out. And so he goes to the same place. It's a shipbuilding place. It's one of the few place, ports that it, anywhere close to Israel. And they built these boats. And God destroyed them. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless the rest of this day. Give us safety on our way home and give us opportunities to learn to trust you in, a, in, in greater and better ways. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.